You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. A reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phryga, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever seen one of those maps that tell you what different parts of the country call different things? I find it really interesting how different regions can be talking about the same thing but have different ways of referring to it. Like, for example, I live in a soda place, but to the south of us there are Coke people, and to the north of us are pop people. We have all kinds of different ways of referring to soft drinks. Soda is how I was raised to uh, refer to soft drinks and how it's what I still call soft drinks. 
Uh, one time, a friend of mine and I were going to a conference in Alabama, and we came to a hole-in-the-wall diner. The waitress came over to take our order, and I told her I would take a water, and my friend said, I'll take a Coke. The waitress said, Honey, what kind of Coke? My friend said, Uh, a Coke? Coke? We all mean the same thing, but it's almost like we're speaking a different language. Like soda, I think when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we don't always know if we are just using different terms or if we are speaking about the same thing. Each year during Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate the birth of the church as the Spirit of God blew into a room where the disciples had been gathered and fire lighted itself onto them and new life was breathed into their hearts. In the church that I grew up in, I was given a wonderful foundation of a deep love for the Bible. And I heard a lot about God the Father and Jesus the Son, but I have to be honest with you, we didn't talk much about the Spirit. And we certainly didn't use words like Pentecost very much. I probably could not have even told you what that word means. To us, Pentecostal was something that referred to our sisters and brothers in more informal and charismatic churches where people would raise their hands in worship and jump over the pews and speak in tongues. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I've sometimes wondered... If the reason that I never heard much about the Holy Spirit is because, well, the Holy Spirit is, it's kind of hard to talk about. I think it might be the member of the Trinity that is the most difficult to define, to understand, to nail down. The Holy Spirit is sort of wild. The Holy Spirit is not a tame lion. We are maybe more comfortable talking about God being at work in the stories of the Old Testament or the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels or the missionary journeys of Paul because these stories are rooted in a time and a place and a history. And while we may never say this outright, we can also more easily hold these stories at arm's length. But the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit is not straightforward. The Holy Spirit cannot be quantified. The Holy Spirit cannot be marketed. It's wild and unpredictable and intimidating and threatening. That's what the disciples experience in this story from the book of Acts. This is a familiar passage to those of us who, who think about Pentecost each year, and for preachers especially, especially, everybody needs to have a Pentecost sermon stowed away, but it has to be different every year. So each time I preach on this text, I try to look for one new element that sticks out to me and helps shape my message for that year. And so this year, what is sticking out to me is the idea of place. See, our passage begins with Luke telling us that the disciples have all gathered in one place, and Luke is quick to tell us that the events of this day take place indoors somewhere. And we know that the early church met in homes, so it's likely that they're sitting down in somebody's family room when this story takes place. They've likely gathered together for worship and community, and we all know that sometimes you can gather for your regularly scheduled worship and the same old folks you've known for years are there. But every once in a while, 
Some new spirit blows in and does something completely backwards. So they're meeting indoors. The spirit blows in and all of a sudden it it is as if the walls have melted away. In some mysterious and unexplained way, the walls of the house dissolve before them and the small community of Jesus' followers suddenly finds themselves outdoors and in the presence of people from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. A few years ago, I was in Yangon, Myanmar on a Sunday morning. I was invited to attend the Yawama Baptist Church for their worship service. I walked in and I sat down in a pew and I I realized that I was a little early. The room had no air conditioning and it was at least a hundred degrees outside. There were these big ceiling fans, but all they were really doing was just recirculating hot air all around the sanctuary. But all of a sudden, I looked around me and the walls around the entire sanctuary began to rise. And I realized that the entire sanctuary had well-crafted garage doors on its walls. The walls rose and disappeared above our heads, and suddenly the church was an open breezeway. The wind began to blow through that sanctuary, and it refreshed me and cooled me and comforted me. And as I looked, I saw people from all over the surrounding neighborhood suddenly walking towards the sanctuary from every direction. We gathered together to worship God that morning. I think, dear friends, that is exactly what these disciples are experiencing on this Pentecost day. I think they are watching the walls disappear, a wind blow through their church and their neighborhood come alive with the hope of the gospel. And that is exactly what can happen to us if we are a church that is willing to allow the Holy Spirit to blow into this room. How is the Holy Spirit perhaps at work today? How are you and I called to listen for the voice of the Spirit in our own community? How is First Baptist Church a place that seeks to listen to the Holy Spirit? Well, what I want to offer to you on this Pentecost morning is that the Holy Spirit wants to break down these walls so that it can breathe new life into this place. Toward the beginning of her book called Christianity After Religion, the writer Diana Butler Bass shares part of a conversation she had with a seatmate on an airplane who said, I don't go to church anymore. I'm not mad at the church or anything. I appreciate what it did for me and what it gave to me when I was younger, but I just don't know where it fits in my life anymore. And I've just sort of drifted away. My life is so full without church, and now church seems kind of, well irrelevant. They don't seem to care about my questions. There's just no reason to go. Well, Butler Bass asked, what are the questions that matter? And he continued by responding, questions about my doubts, about life, about making the world a better place, about justice. You know, questions. The church seems interested in things that, well, just aren't relevant. It's disconnected from real life. 
Maybe you've heard that before from somebody. I know that many of you have family members that were raised in church, and maybe now they want nothing to do with church. And I wonder if you've ever asked them why, and I bet you they've given you an answer similar to this one. When we hear people say that church is just not connected to real life, we we church folks tend to respond one of two ways. The first way is that we, well, frankly, get kind of defensive. What do you mean that church is disconnected from real life? What could be more real life than victory over death and the hope of the resurrection? Is that not real life enough for you? And you know what? There's some truth in that defensiveness. Church is sometimes one of those things that people love to criticize at a distance. The second way that we tend to respond to these kind of critiques is that we get to a place of willingness where we ask ourselves, is there some truth in what this person is saying? Is there some truth in saying that maybe churches struggle to connect with real life? I think we certainly can be if we're not careful. I was at a conference a few years ago that featured the writer Brian McLaren. He told a story about doing a retreat for a church, and he held up two whiteboards, and he put them on opposite ends of the room. Then he asked the congregation, he walked over to one whiteboard, and he asked the congregation, what was important to Jesus Christ? And so he began to, they began to call out answers, and he would write them down on the whiteboard. And they were things like showing compassion, healing the sick, teaching about God, eating with the poor, writing injustices in his community, dying to save humanity. McLaren then walked across the stage and went over to the other whiteboard, and he said, Now when I ask you this next question, I want you to be really honest. What is important to your church? There was an awkward silence, and then somebody spoke up and answered honestly, The budget, the building, good music, enjoying one another's company. McLaren then just sat back and allowed the church to hold these two whiteboards in tension together and to reach their own conclusions. Every year when we focus on the Holy Spirit, It is so we can take a moment to recalibrate and consider that maybe we need to re-listen, refocus on what was important to Jesus. Maybe we need to be about real life. And it is the Holy Spirit that leads us in that direction. See, church folks today have a lot of anxiety because less and less young people are joining churches. And so, for a while, churches thought that what they needed to do was to completely change who they were on the outside, change their music style, change their name, change everything about them. And you know what? There are times where perhaps the Spirit is leading a congregation to those sort of changes. But the church is not meant to be swayed by marketing gimmicks. It's meant to be a spirit-filled body of believers. And changes like that are only truly effective when they are organic and authentic. Instead, we need to be open 
to doing what God is calling us to do. One of the better books I've read recently is the book Growing Young. Some of you from First Baptist Cape might remember that we had an FBC book club night where we discussed this book and walked through some of what it says. It's a book by three scholars from Fuller Theological Seminary on what strategies churches are doing to help young people truly connect to their congregation. What they have found is the churches that can attract and keep young people are not necessarily the churches with the most contemporary music or the catchiest name. They are the churches that are led by the Holy Spirit. They are churches where the members are willing to hold loosely to power and are willing to share leadership with younger and newer members. They are churches that are able to empathize with today's young people rather than only viewing them through their own generation's experience. They are churches that take Jesus' message seriously and are willing to engage in issues of justice in their community. They are churches that are devoted to warmth and radical hospitality, not just places that are nice and polite, but places that radically welcome the other into their midst. They are churches that seek to be good neighbors and get outside of their own walls to show their community the love of God. Now, some of these things might make some of us uncomfortable. There is something comfortable in what is predictable to us. And I would imagine that those disciples gathering in that family room were pretty comfortable in that room. They were used to that room, yet they were breathing no new air. The Holy Spirit needed to blow through that room and fill them with new spirit, new ideas, new breath, new mission. Churches today can sometimes just breathe the same air over and over and over. We just hire people we know. We just keep doing the same stuff over and over and over, and we keep expecting something new to happen. Folks, that's the definition of insanity. Instead, the Holy Spirit needs to breathe into this room and needs to break down these walls and get us out into the community. And we will find that when we do that, we will find that our our spiritual lungs are filled with new, fresh oxygen. We will have new, fresh ideas, and we will even have new, fresh faces that add to the life of our community. The New Testament scholar James D.G. Dunn says it in a way that really convicts me. Quote, A church that seeks to restrict and control the spirit as too dangerous and unpredictable may be safe, but it has signed its own death warrant. A church that seeks to follow where the Spirit leads will have to expect the unexpected and be prepared to be shaken to its core. But that's life, the life of the Spirit, unquote. Life in the Spirit is scary. It's unpredictable. It's wild. But friends, it is the only hope for the church. 
The only hope for the church is to look beyond our own walls. The only hope for the church is to be a place of radical welcome to the marginalized in our own community. The only hope for the church is for us to stop breathing the stale air that continues to cling to buildings and budgets and crumbling institutions. Those are wonderful things, but only if they are in service to the greater mission. Because the only hope for the church is for us to take Jesus' message seriously and to go and make disciples. The only hope that a church has to be a spirit-filled place of resurrection is to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That is our only hope. Our only hope is to realize that the Holy Spirit is melting away our walls, is calling us to go from this place and to spread the good news of grace to our sisters and brothers who are never going to haphazardly wander through our doors. In Wendell Berry's novel, Jaber Crow, the main character, Jaber, says this, quote, I may be the ultimate Protestant, the man at the end of the Protestant road. For as I have read the Gospels over the years, the belief has grown in me that Christ did not come to found an organized religion, but came instead to found an unorganized one. He seems to have come to carry religion out of the temples, into the fields and sheep pastures, onto the roadsides and the banks of rivers, into the houses of sinners and publicans, into the towns and wilderness, toward the membership of all that is here. Well, you can read and see what you think. Getting outside of our own walls, sisters and brothers, is our only hope. Life in the Spirit, my friends, is our only hope. Thanks be to God.